Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. My name's Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring and someone that I hope will leave you feel truly inspired as well. My goal is to bring someone on the show that's got a great story to tell, someone that's achieved something remarkable, uh, whatever that might be, whatever however big or small that might be, and talk about how they did that and through that conversation get some inspiration happening hopefully for both of us, for you and for me. So um certainly hope you enjoy the show. At Osher Ginsberg, G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G, O-S-H-E-R, G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G. That's where you can find me on Twitter. If you like what I'm doing, if you don't like what I'm doing, both ways, you can just let me know. I do not have the words of gratitude that could possibly come close to explaining how I feel to every person that tweeted out about last week's episode. Thank you so, so much. You know who you are. I favorited you. I retweeted you. We talked on Twitter. The greatest thing you can do for me, if you like this show, The greatest thing you can do for me is to on Twitter tweet out that you listen to the show and put a link to this episode I've put on the podcast page osherginsberg.com uh click on podcast and then for each episode you'll see there's a link a tweet now button just hit the tweet button and away you go you'll have done me an incredible favor an incredible service and really helped get the word about 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 what I'm doing here and I'm just super 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 grateful that that so many people did so many people did it this week and I I couldn't be more thankful and I can't wait to see what you write this week Natasha Belling my guest last week is probably wondering where everyone came from because she was getting blown up like twice a day uh or more it it was fantastic it was a real thrill and I'm sure that you'll do that today as well for my guest Adam Garoni from November which is a men's health charity that is they you know, they're more I was changing the face of men's health but they truly truly are doing incredible things uh for prostate cancer research and mental health um awareness and we talk about both so I should let you know right now um it's we actually get, it actually gets a bit emotional um so if either of those things are, are triggers for you uh, it's okay come back next week but we are going to get into that uh, and about the 
how shall we say, effects that both of those two illnesses have, uh, both on us personally and uh, on, on people around us in the greater community. There is a tiny little small itty bitty audio glitch. I'm so sorry about that, but I had to keep it in the edit because it said, he says a really important thing and I didn't want to lose it. He's a really interesting man. Adam Garoni is one of the founders of Movember. We talk all about what Movember is. Basically, men grow mustaches through the month of November uh, to raise money and awareness about prostate cancer and mental health. And we talk all about how that happened, how it came up and how it has now turned into a global movement. And I use that word in no small way. It is enormous what these people are doing. Adam Garoni is an incredible man. He's ex-special force. He was an officer in the special forces for the Australian military, which is pretty awesome. Uh, He's a great Australian doing great things on a global scale. And I am so, so proud that... I'm going to say it, that he's, that he's one of us, but he's also, he's a great man doing great things and just a lovely guy to be around and is one of the people at the helm of this enormous organization that does such great work, changing the absolute way that medical research is done. Uh, around prostate cancer. And we get right into that because they're they're shifting the model of normally researchers work in isolated pods and the way that they've connected these researchers together, researchers together from around the world. It's groundbreaking what these guys are doing. And um, I I can only tell you, and uh, normally I'd say to tweet, Adam, but uh, I I talk about it at the very start of the podcast. If you go to movember.com, that's November with an M, movember.com or movember.com.au, go there, sign up to be a mo bro or a mo sister, you shave at the start of November and you get sponsorship to try and grow a great moustache. Um, and ladies, you can participate as well by helping raise that money. Um, every time a thousand people uh, sign up for November, they ring a gong in the Movember office. So uh, let's see if we can get some gongs ringing. I've certainly done it. You can find, I'll, I'll tweet out my Movember page. Um, through, through the month of uh, Movember, I look forward to bringing uh, my very bad Degrassi Junior High teenage moustache to you every single day. And I look forward to raising some money for this cause that I truly, truly believe in. And, you know, if you're growing a moustache, if you're involved in Movember, let me know on Twitter. I'll retweet you. I'll do whatever I can to help support you as well, uh, because it's a really great cause. I really believe in it. And um, I on, on a very personal level, and it's affected me, and, I, and I'm very, very... Just couldn't be more proud to be a part of it. So let's get into it. My guest today is Adam Garoni, one of the four founders of Movember. He reveals the secrets to keeping his message fresh after 11 years of being a moustache farmer, what it means to be a modern man, how what we say no to defines us more than what we say yes to, the difference between being successful and being significant, and how a bunch of mates in Melbourne growing moustaches for a laugh turned into the largest men's health movement on the face of the earth. For you, Adam Garoni, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Look, I'm I'm super duper. I just want to explain why it sounds like it sounds. We're in uh, Culver City in Los Angeles, California, which is um, a really interesting kind of semi-industrial area. We're surrounded by movie and television production. There's sound stages everywhere, literally. Yeah, literally everywhere. There's catering trucks. There's, and we are in the former dance studio of Debbie Allen. 
Yes, we uh, took it over about six weeks ago. So we moved out of Venice uh, just because we grew out of the space. So we're up here. It's, it's actually good because Cobble City is very central to, um, um, to LA, to downtown, to Hollywood and down to the beach. So you've got a lot of staff here. It looks like it's like a very hot, sexy startup kind of office here. There's, uh, and the, the general Movember theme is, is, is going on. There's a lot of distressed wood. And some of the dance bars from the old studio are still, are still up against the walls, which is... Uh, which is pretty exciting, but we're on the cusp of, Nove of Movember, and I should point out that if during this chat a gong sounds, I'll have to explain what that means. Uh, <laughs> if a gong sounds, uh, I apologise. But we're on the cusp of Movember. This is, if I'm not mistaken, this is the 10th or the 11th? It's the 11th year since we started in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. The, four, uh, the 30 of you. There were 30 of us that yeah. first year in 2003, and um, the first year we did it wasn't for any particular reason other than to bring back a, uh, a fashion icon that had fallen it's, off It's a face. great story. You're a bunch of, very Australian story. You're a bunch of blokes having some beers. You thought, what fashion hasn't come back? Mullets have come back. Short shorts have come back. Why haven't, why haven't moustaches come back? And then yeah. it, it, the afternoon turned into something else, and you went, all right, that's it. Month of November, we'll make it Movember. No one start the day, clean, start the month clean shaven, and we'll have a party at the end. We'll give an award for the best and an award for the worst. Correct. Not yeah. a goatee, not a beard, not mutton chops, a moustache, and a moustache only. Yeah, yeah. And it was amazing that first year just how much um, conversation was created by just growing a moustache. And then uh, four of us got together in 04 and thought, um, let's put this toward a cause. And we're inspired by the women around us, what they're doing for breast cancer, and just thought there's nothing for men's health. And uh, so we, we started to research it, and there's only two male-specific cancers, prostate and testicular cancer. And, and prostate cancer has the same social impact as breast cancer. But you sort of think about it and take Movember off the table. There's just nothing for uh, that cause, really. So... Uh, that was the merge of growing moustaches and men's health and prostate cancer. And uh, the story is remarkable. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people at least... I mean, by now, everyone knows someone that's grown a moustache for Movember. Like, even if it's someone at your work or someone in passing. Like, by now, the penetration is, is, is that intense. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it must be, like, easily over half a million people every year by now. Well, yeah, no. Last year, we had uh, globally 1.1 million uh, Mo Bros and Mo Sisters registered, signed up, doing it. Yeah, so it's... Uh, it's amazing. 21 countries now. Uh, it's now the biggest funder of prostate and testicular cancer um, programs um, in the world. So... Uh, great moustaches, great responsibility with uh, that much money going into the cause. Truly, and and it, you know, it does. And this is what I really wanted to talk to you about today because the story of Movember has been oft told, and uh, a lot of blokes love to do it, and a lot of girls like to support it, and um, you know that it's an incredibly important cause. But how you keep it running is mm. is, is what's interesting to me, and uh, and the lessons you've learned uh, doing this for eleven years now. Um, I've had experiences of non-for-profits uh, who it's, it's founded in a very similar way. You know, it's like, let's do this thing for, for you know, let's, let's make, I don't know, iPhone cases for poor kids or I don't understand, I don't know. But they don't quite have the ability to keep it running and keep, yeah. it, keep it working and it ends up, you know, very well-intentioned, but unfortunately it, it dies. Um, but you, uh, you went to business school and you applied what you learned at business school to this incredible cause. And, I, 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 you know, you'd be one of the few people I know who actually uses their degree. <laughs> and I wanted to know how that, you know, you went to what? Was it Melbourne Mel Business? Melbourne Business School and um, uh, did a Master of Marketing. And, and I initially enrolled in the MBA program there. But 
um, everyone was doing an MBA and uh, the marketing program was just starting up and um, I thought, no, I'm going to do something a little bit different and unbeknownst to me because I wasn't I didn't have a marketing background that a key principle is, you know, how do you differentiate yourself? So that was the reason why I chose to do the marketing course in, in the first hand and then going through it, it was just um, a lot of that stuff resonated with me and it was at a time in my life um, that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial and then hooked up with, you know, my brother and the two other guys that started Movember and I think our combined skills, which wasn't by design, um, have over the course of the time worked perfectly um, together. And so as, as you moved on, though, surely you had moments where you're like, I don't know what to do next. Who, do you, who did you call when you were in those moments? It was really, it was really, really interesting in the, in the early days um, around that because in so many cases, and even now we're sort of pioneering so many elements of this organisation, and there's not too many benchmarks, there's not too many people to call. I mean... The guys that, you know, my brother and, and um, JC and Luke that started Movember, we would, you know, call each other and draw on each other's sort of different talents and, and experiences. Um, but in many ways, we were pioneering, you know, renaming a month and, and creating a movement around uh, a cause and then using technology and the internet and then social media to leverage all this stuff. And, you know, being based here now for six years, we're even in the US sort of pioneering a number of those things. And of course, um, so many campaigns now have leveraged that, which is a wonderful thing. We sort of set out, and one of our core statements when we set out was to create a new generation of philanthropy. And so many guys that do Movember are doing a charitable thing for the first time. And then they get inspired, and then they'll go and do a bike ride or a run, or in a lot of cases, they'll start their own uh, campaign, which is a wonderful thing. But uh, yeah, there, there were certainly lonely times when you're just sort of scratching your head going, well, I think we're doing the right thing here. And when, uh, how did you know if you were or weren't? Um, we've always been um, really close to the community that do Movember. And um, initially that was us. And, and so we, were, we always thought um, you know, we wanted to stay true to the, the sort of the humble beginnings of Movember. And one, one of our other statements we use at Movember is what we say no to defines us more than what we say yes to. And over the course of this journey and with the success of the campaign, we get thrown a myriad of opportunities and things like that. And it's always sort of stepping back and, and there's been times where there's been big um, opportunities on the table, but they just didn't fit right from a brand point of view. So we've held our brand central to everything that we do. And one thing that we do, one of our core challenges now, 11 years in, is how do you keep the campaign fresh and relevant? You know, when we started Movember, we had kids that were 12 year old that are now 22-year-old um, young gentlemen that we want, you know, to join the Movember movement. And so as we've gotten older, it's the, the, the gap there is really different. So for us, it's like employing people that are still in the target market to give us that advice. When you first started this, so there must have been moments when you were in that, we don't know if this is the right thing. Did the universe just kind of pop a story your way or, or introduce you to someone like that your campaign had touched at those moments that perhaps maybe pushed you through? Yeah, I think often, you know, contemplate this now, you know, we, we were supremely passionate about what we were doing and, um, you know, it was so much fun and it was with our mates um, and that was the initial genesis of the 30 of us. And then in the next year, 2004, we added the cause 
And that year we had 450 guys in Australia and we raised $54,000 and we donated all of it to the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. Which was the biggest check they'd ever got from anyone ever. Correct. Yeah. And, and just to see how rewarding that was and how appreciative that organization was and then downstream to see men that were going through prostate cancer and then their sons that were our age being so appreciative, well, sons and daughters, and, and in fact, so many daughters were so appreciative of this. It was the most rewarding thing um, we'd experienced. So that created this passion. Um, and, you know, whatever you do, that you're going to get through curveballs and barriers and things like that. And it was that passion that, you know, enabled us to persist through all those things. When we first brought the campaign to the US and Canada and then the UK, that was so hard. Those first couple of years were, um, you know, myself and Jason, we left our friends with our family and sort of pursuing this thing, trying to establish our lives personally, but also the organisation here was exceptionally hard. And we went nowhere near our expectations of the first couple of years, but we, we stayed true and believed in what we were doing. And it's, if you truly love what you do, um, with that comes an inherent passion. And when you are throwing these things, and I often think, you know, when you're pursuing like an organization which gets men to grow mustaches, when you think about that, that's ridiculous um, that we can create a global movement out of that. And first of all, the reaction will be people will ignore you and then people will start to laugh at you. And you know you're making a little bit of progress where people actually start to listen to you and laugh and then you go beyond that and then people start to engage and then laugh with you and sort of that, that, that movement that grows. One thing that is very, very interesting about what you do and particularly what this organisation does is that with, I don't, think, I don't think many brands, like for-profit brands, Coke, Pepsi, Pizza Hut, whatever, have the kind of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I tell you, man, never get a head injury. When you get a head injury, like words disappear. <laughs> I hit my head skiing in Utah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, no, honestly. Um, uh, what is it when you wear a T-shirt that says what you like? You're passionate about it, you love uh, spokesperson. Right, right. Not many brands have mm -hmm. people ambassador. Exactly mm -hmm. that. And this is what this is a very interesting thing that not many brands have what you have, yeah. which is people willingly going out to not only help raise money for this cause, but for thirty days once a year become like this army. Yeah. Of yeah. willing ambassadors. Mm -hmm. And that is an like you said, that's an incredible responsibility. How do yeah. you how do you help direct that? How do you make sure that you're essentially taking, because as you said, you're very careful with your brand. Yeah. You're very careful with your message. How do you hand that over mm. to so many people? Yeah, that, I mean, people often ask you, so how has this campaign grown to the extent it has? 21 countries last year, 1.1 million people were the core part of the community. And then there's 5 million donors. And... It's really interesting. When I first moved to LA, and you would absolutely be able to relate to this, um, we core part of like driving the movement is getting media and, and getting them talking about it. And in LA, the media is driven by celebrity. And so here they'd always go, hey, who's your celebrity ambassador? And for the first couple of years, I didn't know how to answer that because we didn't have celebrities. We didn't actively pursue um, celebrities to participate. And then I had a, an epiphany where... Last year, we had 1.1 million celebrity ambassadors. And it's every single guy, and sure, there's celebrities in that mix, um, doing Movember. So 
what we try to do is create a platform. And we always say that we're the roadies. We, we spend the year creating this platform, the technology, the brand and everything to inspire a new generation of Mobros and Mo Sisters. And then we hand the brand over to those guys and say, here it is, create your own story, tell your own story. And I think that's where you create that sort of passion and love for the cause because um, whilst we have guidelines and we, we provide the guys tools, we want the Mobros and Mo sisters to take that and create their own story and tell their own story. And that, and that is it's so powerful. I mean, you're just, just reflecting on this this morning when I was getting ready for this chat. Just, It's just so powerful. Like what a regular brand would pay for that kind of loyalty right. and yeah. that kind of I'm going to go out and, and be the mouthpiece. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really interesting. Right now in October, our role is to build the community. And so we're propping up the conversation. We're pushing out content and um, emails and things like that. And it's really interesting. Come sort of November 1st, uh, the, it re- the community reaches a tipping point where the, the momentum and the conversation is then created by the community. And um, so our role then shifts from building the mo- momentum and community to, to actually guiding and managing it. When you have you know, millions of people wearing your brand literally on, on their face, it's, it's almost impossible. Um, all you can do is guide and inspire it at that stage. I, I look forward to it every year. It's a fantastic thing to be a part of. I'm so proud to be a part of it. My story is the same as many people's story. It mm. devastated yeah. uh, my family. And it's, and it's, oh man, it's, I'm emotional just, just talking about it because it's like, it's so important, man. It's just it so incredibly important. It's such an insidious disease and that could be prevented yeah. so simply. Yeah, and, um, you know, as we've talked about, you know, we, we do focus on prostate and testicular cancer, but um, one thing that we're also very, very passionate about is mental health yeah. um, and mental illness. And, and anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm, right. <laughs> I'm quite open about my, yeah. my experience with that. And... Um, for us, that's so much about the conversation. And if by growing a moustache, that becomes a bridge for the guys to have that conversation, um, that is so wonderfully powerful. And, and, you know, yes, we raised, you know, $140 million last year. Oh but God. for us, the conversations are more valuable um, yeah. because we just get emails and, and discussions all the time around guys going, for the first time ever, I was able to tell my mates that I – um, suffer a mental illness and I take medication for it. And, it's, and I, I have that now with close friends that each year sort of feel confident enough, confident enough to have that conversation. Which uh, It's a simple conversation that it absolutely saves lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm quite open about the, you know, my struggle with anxiety. I mean, right. and I have no problem talking about it because it's... It's such a, a thing that defined my life for so long. I was so ashamed of it. Yeah, I was and so ashamed of, uh, you know, and then and trying to self-medicate. Yeah. It didn't work out very well. <laughs> right, right. And it's, you know, we often, you know, you, you, given our public profile and how big we are, we do, we do have people that, you know, criticise a little bit and they go, well, hang on, how can a conversation have any sort of impact? And yeah. it's not until you observe or actually have those conversations that that release and you've experienced sort of being confident enough to actually tell people mm. is such a weight off of someone's shoulders because we've broken down these stupid stigmas that exist around this disease. And, and that's all it is. 
is, is guys not being confident enough to go, hey, this is who I am. Yeah. Um, this is what I go through. I just, I'm not looking for help. I just want to tell you about it. Like a month ago, if you said, hey, Osh, let's go for a run, I would have said without blinking an eye, I've got Achilles tendonitis right now. I can't run. Right. Because my, my leg hurts when I run. Yeah. Years ago, hey, Osh, let's go for a run. There's no way I would said to you, I'm too afraid to leave the house. Yeah, because I would have like... <laughs> it's the same, yeah. you know, you know yeah. what I mean? No, and it is. It's a disease. And, yeah. and the perception we have is like someone goes, I've got prostate cancer. People go, okay, you need to be treated and you'll be good. Yeah. Someone goes, I suffer from a bipolar disorder or anxiety or, or depression. It's like, as a society, we still haven't got our head around mm. how to actually react um, to yeah. that. But it's a disease and it's treatable. Um, it's actually also preventable as well. And, and that's a big part of our message for mental health and, and cancer is so much of what we can do in our 20s and 30s can prevent some some of those um, things coming on in, in later life. What kind of things are you talking about that, that can prevent these things? Yeah, for us, it's, um, it's living um, a healthy, well-balanced life. So good diet, exercise, alcohol in moderation, not smoking. A big one is managing stress and work-life balance and things like that and and just enjoying life so it's just it's a very holistic approach i mean for sure there's some people are genetically predisposed to get cancer or a mental illness and that that's a fact but there's other people um that aren't and and it's a function of uh their lifestyle um so for us a big part of our message now is around preventative health measures and and staying active and and being with your friends and having a good diet. One thing that is, a, and I was thinking about this this morning. One thing that's such a massive advantage. You talk about the conversation and the power of the conversation, and I, I know you're not alone in you know as a as a foundation promoting that because it's it's so important. But you land in this enormously important month in American families. Mm. That, that, yeah. that there's this ritual around Thanksgiving yeah. where families who haven't seen each other, sometimes for two years, because sometimes yeah. if people are married, they do Thanksgiving at one person's house one year and that sure. What are some stories that you've had? Like that must, did, did that dawn on you? How, how quickly no, did it, you figure it, that out when it, you got here? Because it's I've, like, what's the last Thursday in November or something yeah, like that? Yeah, every year. Yeah. Um, pretty quickly, actually. Um, and... It's really, really interesting. Um, and these are some of my favorite stories, actually. It's bigger than Christmas. Like, it's totally. bigger than because not everyone's Christian in America, yep. all right? There's a yep. lot of different religions here, but everyone has Thanksgiving, regardless yep. if you're Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, right wing, whatever. Right. Scientologists have, have Thanksgiving, <laughs> right. Right. all right? Yeah. Maybe Native Americans don't. Maybe that's the only people that don't have right. Thanksgiving. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, so each year it happens. We get all these emails in the last couple, of, well, sort of mid-November actually, guys emailing in for a bit of advice going, hey, I haven't been home um, for a couple of years or a year. I'm going home. I'm not sure about rocking home with a moustache um, because it is, you want to go home. It is a very, very intimate family time. And, and that's when you get the questions, why aren't you married yet? What right. is, where's your career going? Shouldn't you yeah. have a raise? All yeah, that kind yeah, of, yeah. when are you moving back home? Um, <laughs> So obviously we encourage them to keep the moustache and go home. And what's wonderful, after Thanksgiving, we get so many emails and phone calls. Guys going, thank you so much. For the first time ever, our family talked about men's health. For the first time ever, a guy learns that his grandfather had prostate cancer. So he knows because of Movember to challenge his dad around screening. And in, in a number of cases, because of that conversation, the dad goes and 
has screening for prostate cancer and finds that he's got it. So that early detection and that conversation is so crucial. And it's, it's really interesting, you know, girls typically grow up having a conversation about their health with their, with their mum at a very early age. Men just don't have that conversation. We don't need, as teenage boys, to necessarily have that conversation. So generally speaking, we never really have that intimate conversation with our dads. And so for us, again, it's just that conversation that is triggered by the most stupid-looking moustache. And Yours is resplendent. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a stupid-looking moustache. My, I'm, I've, I shaved this morning, and I'm, what are we at? What are we at? 17 days, so I'm, I'm not far out. I, like, I shaved this morning after a week. I'm like, I, uh, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Every year I get a little... It's a little way greyer this year than oh, it was I last know, year, I though. Know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, when I I have facial hair for the majority of the year, of course. And, you you, uh, you get year round status. You're yeah, okay. But when you shave down on the first, and then about a week into November, it's like, oh boy, if uh, this doesn't grow back, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> You've uh, through November. Uh, just before we move on, I want to get more into the the, the, the business side of, of how you do what you do because. Uh, uh, how you've created this brand and how you've worked with this brand and the inspirational nature of this brand is is really important. And I think a lot of people align with it so much because they uh, uh, can see that your intention behind this brand is so true and, and is so real. So we'll get, we'll, I want to get to that in a second, but just what has been the most sisters experience uh, through this and how have you worked to you know, kind of develop that and, and, and what's the feedback you've got from women that, that get involved? Yeah, I mean, for us, um, most of this women have been an integral part of November since 2003. And when you think about it, women play a really important role in men's health. And they're typically the ones prompting us to go to the doctor, whether it's our mum or our, our partner later in life. Um, because, again, generally speaking, men will just hang on until there's a limb falling off before we'll uh, head to the doctor. So they're the ones that... Um, <laughs> hang on. I just, my friend Wazza, everyone knows someone called Wazza. Right. He describes his dad's like, my dad would only ever... My dad's the kind of guy that would only go to the doctor if his arm's on fire. <laughs> and even then he's just walking up, ah, I've got another one. <laughs> Like he's that. That's exactly what he's saying. Sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry yeah, to interrupt. But yeah. yeah, you're talking about men that just don't go to the doctor unless their limb is falling off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so girls in Movember play a similar role in that they're the, um, the gatekeepers to say it's okay to do Movember often. They're the ones um, encouraging our, us men to do it because typically charity and the charitable movements um, were created by women. And the whole breast cancer movement is, you know, a phenomenon. Um so in that case, it's the women taking the lead and they're the ones fundraising and the guys supporting. And Movember's flipped that model on its head where it's the guys taking the lead um, supported by the women. So um, a lot of the, we find a lot of the team captains are women. So they'll register a team and then they'll recruit. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. For the guys in their life to um, oh, this is like say for a workplace or, yeah, or something socially, along those lines. Yeah, right. Sixty percent of the donors are women, so the guys are out there. Sort of, and you know the feedback has been amazing because this is the first time in history on, on this sort of scale men have actually become passionately involved in their health, and women have been trying to prompt us to do that forever. And you know we often we, we use fun as the Trojan horse for this, you know. The main reason guys do Movember is because it's fun. They get to experience what they would look like with a moustache and they go on this 30-day journey. Um, they only get to do that because it's validated by the cause. So, um, And by virtue of getting involved, they have to then become knowledgeable about why they're doing it. Otherwise, they'll get called out. It's like, and so they start to have these conversations, get engaged with their health and, and actually start to take a really proactive um, perspective on on their health. So at a Movember event, if it was just the guys with uh, moustaches in a room, um, it'd be a pretty weird party. So the, the the women bring us together, and they're you know a beautiful support for us. I, I know I talked about this last time we spoke on air um, of that incredible experience I had. I think it was the 2007 Movember Gala at Luna Park in Sydney. There must have been I don't know. 8,000 people there. Right, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Half of which were women. Yep. And my whole month had been, what is that on your face? From a lot of women. And here I was at this party with every one of them going, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, hang on a second. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. It no, was, I'm, don't get me wrong. I was, I was at a fiance at the time. Right. Everything, nothing, nothing happened, but it was just like, Oh yeah, man! Like the women that were there were so into it, and they were so into the men that were growing these moustaches, and that really moved me. That these women were so supportive and so so into it, and just the pheromones of the air that night were just <laughs> my goodness. There was it's probably a lot of six year olds out there yeah, now, that night. <laughs> little yeah, little uh, November babies, little <laughs> little moustaches rocking around. Probably if you were, if you were born in uh, in August or September, just like your parents, yeah. <laughs> possibly. Um, so, b- because of the massive success of what you've done, and and rightly so, because mm. it is it's an incredible story that that you've you've created, and, and I'm ever so proud that you're an Australian man doing this. I wouldn't really mind if you were another from another country, but I'm especially proud that you're an Australian. Um, you've gone on to speak about your experience uh, at your uh, at the university that you went to, but also at Harvard, at Stanford, yep. at the London Business School. What's it like? Yeah. To be asked to to talk at these prestigious places that that create the business leaders of the future. Yeah, it was a, TEDx is another one which was a really interesting. Oh, yeah, experience. you did TED. You yeah, did yeah. TED in Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's actually wonderful now that um, can sort of because we were sprinting to try and cre- keep up with this growth. Um, that now in a position um, to be able to reflect back on this wonderful journey and, and share what we've learned th- through that journey with other people, with other uh, entrepreneurs or people that are wanting to start their own cause um, is a great thing. And, and this is another way for us to be able to give back to the community. And it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing that 
now I um, dedicate a, a fair amount of time to is, is sharing the story so other people can, you know, learn from it. So what are, what are some things that you share with these, these business students about, about how you run this place? Yeah, um, it, it's really interesting. So we're, we're a not-for-profit, um, but we never use that term November. We're, we're all about profit. We run it as a business. Um, we've got about 105 employees now. Um, I think one has come from the, the charitable sector. Um, so we run this like a business. Um, the only difference is where the profit goes. It doesn't go to shareholders. It goes to the programs that, that we fund. So that is a really important um, cultural thing at Movember. Um, the other thing that we hold true are our values, um, and, and everyone is employed against those values. Every decision we make is, is based on, on those values. Our number one value is fun. We've got accountable, um, caring, humble, innovative, and so for us, it's you know staying true to, to who we are. But a big part of Movember is um, we, we reinvent ourselves each year. So it's it's Movember is fundamentally the same thing each year. Getting guys to grow mustaches. Right? You're like Prince. Is, no. You've got to be different every time. No, that that's exactly right. And um, knowing some people now in the the music industry over here, it's it's analogous to a band. So they have a great record, go on tour, great sales. And then they've got to go away and create another album. They lock themselves away and they record and fine-tune things and they think it's all going to be great and then they go back out and release the album. And, and so that, that for us is an annual cycle. And we spend you know, January and February pulling apart the campaign. We're very critical around what worked and what didn't. Um, and then we reconstruct the whole organisation and, and tweak it and hopefully make it better and, and more engaging. But a big part of us... and. Um, I've thought about this at a personal level, also organisationally, is the difference between being successful and being significant. So for us, um, we were clearly successful and, and a big part of our driver is still being successful. And, and what I mean by that is the focus on the top line numbers. So how many people do we have participate each year and how much money do we raise and how many conversations do we have? Um, so very tangible things, but um, for us it's more about being significant. And so what we mean by that is how do we have a significant impact on men's health? Um, and so we've got a whole now department focused on the programs, where the money goes, and also assessing the social impact of what we do. And we fundamentally believe that we need to continue to focus on being uh, successful, but through the programs and the impact that we're having, show that we're actually having a significant impact um, at a national level and on a global level. So when you're... Like, have you, have you seen how other NFPs run? Have you, and have you gone, you know, have you learned from, from that? Yeah, we, we, we have a little bit. I mean, we, we choose benchmarks in, in various categories of our organisation. Um, the vast majority of our benchmark organisations are in the for-profit world. Um, we, the benchmarks we have in the charitable sector are around transparency and social impact and how you measure that. And it's actually quite hard. Um, to measure that, like um, Charity Water is one of our benchmarks and, and they raise funds and then, um, you know, uh, dig wells in third world countries. Now and they do an amazing job. I think, I think their latest campaign was let's build, we're buying two rigs and if you supported the rig, you get a GPS 
right. uh, email every time the thing's drilling. Yeah. And, right. and so you're, you're constantly aware of where this thing is, where the money got spent, and how many yeah. gallons of water are coming out of this well every day. Yeah, and, and how many people in that community are impacted. It's a wonderful thing, and um, it's relatively easy for them because they are doing something very tangible. For us, where we're funding research, which may take five to 15 years yeah. to result in a new drug or a new treatment option, it's very hard for us to sort of track that progress on, a, on an annual basis. Um, but that's our challenge, and we don't shy away from that. And even the support programs for the men and the families going through this journey, um, how do you truly assess that those support gra- uh, programs are ha- having a real impact on, on that family? And so that's, that's a huge focus for us now. So tying, um, you know, a guy raised $100. Okay, where that goes into this massive pool. Um, but what what's the impact that we're having? So that's a huge focus for us um, now. So that, that's one case. But in many other elements of the organisation, whether it's social media or our PR or uh, our website, we we have in each case we have a, a benchmark organisation, and for the majority of cases, that's outside the um, the charitable landscape. I was just just thinking, like you talk about you talk about research, and I, I know this because I. Uh, a mate of mine was actually working as a as a researcher on with the guy that developed it. Since Movember started, the the vaccine for cer- cervical cancer yeah. has been developed, implemented, mm-hmm. and is now out yeah. there. When that happened, what was the reaction here? Did you go, oh, like there's hope? <laughs> we did actually. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, I'll take a slight tangent and then come That's back okay. to that. Um, we have time. We, I, I think, one of the other key success factors for Movember is um, naivety. And the four of us that started Movember had no charitable experience whatsoever. We may have made a donation, that'd be about it. So we actually came to Movember and this whole charitable landscape naive of the rules and the way you normally market ourselves and all that sort of stuff. So for example, you'll never, so many charities use fear-based marketing. In the normal prostate cancer conversation, they would normally lead with one in eight men in Australia are going to get prostate cancer. Therefore, grow a moustache, raise money, and we'll effectively cure this disease. We've never, ever done that. Um, this year's campaign is called Gen Mo, which is a play on Gen X, Gen Y. doesn't even talk about you know, prostate or testicular cancer or mental health. It's about getting the inspiring a community. And so that is one example. The other example was three, four years ago, we'd raised collectively $100 million. After this campaign, we'll have raised $600 million. Wow. And oh my God. So we sat there and thought, all right, we've raised $100 million globally. At that stage, we were funding research in six countries. So we did an audit of the research and that we were funding. And we found there were common themes. We need a better test for prostate cancer is one. And so uh, we said to the doctors in Melbourne and Sydney, hey, do you know the guys in Boston and Montreal and Seattle and Chicago and London and Dublin? that are researching exactly what you're researching and we're funding all of you. And at that stage, they didn't even know each other existed. And then we dove into the research world and and realized at the level foundations like us fund is at the very exploratory, non-commercial stage, um, that it's... There's no collaboration. There's no true collaboration because the way they get grants is competitive, which is good at that point. They get written up and then they get more grants. But they don't share. The only thing that they share is a breakthrough. They don't share the 90% of things that end in a dead end. And But that data could be useful to someone exactly. else. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So we, we thought, no, we're going to try and change. And this is where that naivety comes back into it. It's like, no, this is 
this is not right. And you look at open source software and how that's yeah. developed now. So, so you're just wandering thinking you're going to bust out 150 years of scientific innovation of like, I research this, I get a grant, I do this, I sell it to a drunk company, I buy a boat. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And that, that's a 15, 20-year cycle. And, yeah. You know, that's, that's that industry. And, and uh, it, is, it is industry. Let's, 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 let's be honest. People yeah. make money out of, out of these drugs. A lot of money. A lot of money. And um, so we thought, well, how do we disrupt this? How do we change this? Because this, you know, from our perspective, is not right. And so what we do now is we take 10% of what's raised in each country and it goes into a global fund. And we've got eight of the best um, scientific minds in the world that now effectively manage that fund. And they come together and decide what pro projects would best benefit from a global um, collaborative project. And last year, $15 million was invested into that. We've now got five or six of these um, initiatives going. But the first one we kicked off three years ago has brought together 140 researchers from across the world that are, um, are, are tasked with trying to find a more effective test for prostate cancer. And it's just amazing. I've sat in on some of the, um, you know, the quarterly phone calls and we get together manually and then we build an online collaborative tool for them. And what they're researching is exceptionally complex, but the way they go about it, it's like, you know, 1970. And it's just on a phone call, like there was a researcher in Toronto had just been given $2 million grant to go down a particular path of which I think a half a million was from November. And he was explaining his project. And then there was a London researcher and he got, we've been down that exact path, two years. We spent, you know, a million pound on that. I'll email you the results huh. now. And so you could feel huh. how deflated the guy in Toronto was because he'd spent so much time, you know, building the case to get this grant. He's now got it. And the guy in London goes, don't bother. And so it's like you talk about this group genius of the, now there's 140 people that have the confidence to share what's not working, which is more important in my view than, than what it, because they'll iterate off of that yeah. and get a, get a breakthrough. And you look at polio is a, a prime example where it was a, a guy, a quirky guy that came up with a vaccine who went down a totally obscure path that no one was going down. And that's a vaccine we've all now got that's eradicated polio. And so when, to bring it full circle, when things like a vaccine for cervical cancer comes out, you know, that gives us a whole lot of hope. There's no vaccine on the horizon for prostate cancer, although there is some research around um, some viruses we get in, in our teens that may be associated with it. But for us, we can effectively cure this prostate cancer disease. And if you look at testicular cancer, we've effectively cured that, meaning no man should die from that disease. And, and we are funding research in there to have better treatment options. But what is a combination, and, and, and absolutely, if you don't show up with testicular cancer to the doctor, you will die. And 20, 30 years ago, a lot of men were dying from that disease. So <clears throat> through awareness, through men presenting early, through an, a more effective um, screening test, through better treatment options, prostate cancer will become a very, very manageable disease. Uh, and that's what's on the five, 10-year horizon. And, and largely, that's because of Movember. Amazing. It's yeah. incredible that in, in our lifetime we'll see right. this. In a, in that abs is absolutely in our lifetime. mind-blowing yeah. that a disease which 40 years ago, 50 years ago was just slaying. It was a death sentence. Yeah. Death sentence. If yeah. you had it, they yeah. found out way too late and yeah. that's it. Good night. Yeah. Yeah. 
and that in our lifetime also that there's I'm gonna cry like there's teenagers right now who who yeah we'll, we'll, never know what it is yeah. and then again it's it's about stigmas you know the, the uh, stigmas associated with cancer are changing and it becomes a very manageable disease and we can prevent a lot of cancers to start with and then it's about early detection mm. and then effective treatments a lot of guys I'm only gonna go from you know my my experiences like I, I went I went to an all boys school. Um, and then I, all my mates were more guys, but uh, you know, and then I, women started to come into my life. But the only men that were in my life were my brothers, the guys I went to school with, and then a few people I worked with. And my experience and what it is to be a man, and what was informed by what it is to be a man, you know, through my father as well, was was just that. It was probably probably thirty men, right, tops. Mm. All right. Then I started doing jobs where I'd meet. Uh, vast amounts of the public, particularly with Channel V and, and Idol, I started to, and I counted myself incredibly lucky that I had exposure to uh, parts of the community and, and, and points of view that I would never have otherwise been exposed to. And it really affected me, and it really affected hearing all these stories. How is your view of what it is to be a man and manliness, mm. I guess, being affected? by the stories you've heard and the men you've met? Like, mm. in that... You know, backyard in 2003, that Adam versus this Adam. Like, how did those two men see the, the world differently through, the, yeah. through that lens? It's a really good question. Um, you know, my brother and I, who were two of the four co-founders, both went to a um, Catholic boys' school and we had a dad. And, and so we probably had a fairly traditional upbringing um, in that. And I think, you know, and then I... I joined the military and was an officer in the military. So it was a very, I had a very structured first sort of 29, 30 years of my life. Um, and then we came across the Movember thing. And I think it has broadened my thinking um, and approach to a lot of things so widely. And we're now surrounded by, and, and literally, particularly this time of year, you know, five to 10 emails a day from, from guys that um, email me directly and, and share their story. And these are heart-wrenching stories in, in, in some cases where these guys have been dealt a really tough hand. And I just... And, and people also ask me, it's like, all right, you've been doing this for 10 or 11 years, what are you going to do next? And, man, I'm, I'm still as passionate about this as I am or was, you know, in 03, 04 when we started this. And it's because, you know, we're, I know there's so much work to do and you get surrounded by people that rely on this time of year to, to have discussions and bring light to, to the challenges they have. So I think it's, it's certainly rounded my thinking and my approach to things and, and how lucky and privileged um, I am to be in this position and, and how much enormous responsibility comes with it. And I think about that you know, daily, all the time. And because I can see the the changes that they're actually making in society, so um, it's been for me just this wonderful, wonderful maturing journey that we, that we get to be at the centre of this and and be touched by so so many um, you know wonderful stories. Do you think? I'm only I ask this because I don't know what I think. Do you think we're entering into a a different phase of what it means to be a man? Yeah, totally, totally. I think, you know, I sort of think about this because with the gay movement for straight men came this metrosexual time 
And I think men lost their masculinity a little bit. And now it's now we're all comfortable. Were you saying that the, the 2003 to 2007 blonde hair for me wasn't a good look? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, but I think we gravitated away from what it meant to be a man. Yeah. And I think we're now absolutely gravitating back. And you can see with facial hair now and grooming and everyone just being so much more comfortable with their sexuality and it's almost not a non-conversation now and that we're coming back and you know the last few campaigns for us were about the modern gentleman and what it meant to be a modern gentleman and and part of it was being proactive around your health and obviously doing Movember but it was really bringing back um, what it meant to be a gentleman and um, giving those messages to the guys. So, I've, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see this, this evolution of probably the last 15, 20 years of, of guys. Um, and, and I think grooming is like a really um, tangible sort of signal in terms of masculinity. And for us, it's, you know, one program we've in- implemented this year, it's called Movember Raider Barbers. So grooming... Um, is obviously a key part of Movember. And uh, men, and I, I remember this, I, I would go to a, a salon for the last sort of five years. Now I've gravitated back to going to a barber and I'd spend 80 bucks for, for this haircut. It was ridiculous. And now I go to a barber shop and, you know, hang out with guys. And back in the day, the barber shop was a hub for men to go and just hang out. It was the Twitter of its day. It truly was. Yeah, yeah. And particularly here, the African-American community never actually lost that. The the black barbershops over here, which is a network, that's like a community hub. And you speak to those guys and they have like one or two two barbers throughout their life. And they have a really intimate bond with their barber and and girls do with their their hairdresser. So we were really, we're doing the Movember-rated barber things to, to... acknowledge the barbers that support us but to really bring that back as a hub and a safe place for guys to go and obviously get their hair cut but have a chat and just hang out um so you mentioned the the the, the modern gentleman uh what is it what are some things before we before we get out of here because you're a busy man we're like <laughs> 10 days away from launch or less um what are some things that a modern gentleman who's perhaps listening whether it's a young guy or or, or someone's like a mom of a, of a son right. know, you know what are some things a modern gentleman should uh, should have or should know how to do? <laughs> um, I think you know just having a, a a really great sense of confidence, not in an arrogant way. And you know, one of our values is being humble. And I think that's a beautiful virtue. So being confident but humble, I think it's about style and having your own style. It's about grooming. Um, for us, it's, it's certainly being knowledgeable about your health. Um, not just your health, but those around you, your dad, your, your buddies, and having those conversations. So, um, And it's also looking after the women in our life and, and opening a door and not thinking that's being chauvinist or old school. That's, you know, that's what being a gentleman's all about, is putting, putting others before you. And there's a, lo- a lot of being what you talk about, uh, the confidence yeah. uh, in, in being a man, and, and not, not an arrogant way, yeah. but a lot of that... And, and only, I can only speak in my own experience, but a lot of that I've found that once I started to do that, the women in my life kind of relax. It's like, ah, oh, there's a barrier that I can lean against. Mm. The, the emotional differences between men and women have been documented many, many times. But if I stayed strong, the women in my life were like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I can have my 15 ups and downs this hour knowing that it's going to be okay. Right. 
because this guy's got it together. And it yeah. took me a long time to figure that out. Yeah, um, I think it's, you know, that it's a maturing thing. But yeah, just having that confidence um, in a humble way is, is a great, great virtue. And, you know, particularly in this city, you see how ego dominates um, some people and, you know, social environments. And it's, it's quite surprising where you just go, no, I don't need... I don't need that in my life and you just be confident in who you are and I think that will then attract really genuine people into your life and and genuine conversations there is a there are a lot of genuine people in Los Angeles there it are. has this reputation that it's 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 false and it's plastic and it's got a lot of the word here is blowhard right. a lot of people that are just full of a lot of hot air that actually exists. Those, I'm not trying to say those people don't exist. They do exist. But the people that are actually getting things done, the mm. people that are actually cutting the deals, making the things, whether it's in tech, in movies, in TV, and whatever, in my experience, they've all been really genuine human beings. Yeah. Because you don't want to do business with an asshole. No, Nobody does. No, no, that's exactly right. And you, you're right. They're, they're absolutely here. And um, it's such a big city, it's hard to find that group. But... You eventually do, and I must admit, it took me three years to really feel comfortable in, in I don't even call it a city, it's a place, you know, yeah. in, in, in this environment. Um, but there's, it's such an entrepreneurial place. Everyone, including myself, has come here to, to make something, um, you know, in, in entertainment or in America or philanthropy in my case. I, I, I make no secret of it, I love being in this country I love being in Australia and people ask me all the time what do you like better Sydney or Los Angeles it's China and for you it would be Melbourne I guess um, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time mm. they ask you what's better and I'm like it's trying to compare to the best meal you've ever eaten to the best sex you've ever had <laughs> it, 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 one is completely different right. from the other they do not compare and they serve different purposes yeah. and that is simply it yeah. but there's something about here uh, when I, I was in Brisbane, we used to drive to school. We would drive past the old Arnott's Bakery and you could smell them cooking the Tim Tams in the morning or the milk arrowroots. You could smell this back when I still ate that stuff. You could smell <laughs> it. And you get up in the morning here and you smell that people are here to make shit happen. Yeah. And yeah. just being around that drives me so much. It's infectious. It's infectious. You, the, the stories you have here, whether it's Australians or, or Americans that have moved to LA, are truly inspiring. It's like, here's a person rolling the dice, living on someone's couch because they're passionate about music yeah. or acting or getting in the tech space or whatever it is and people are just going, no, nah, I'm going to... It's a scrappy city. You've got to work so hard just to survive. But here, uh, not only success but also potential of success is a commodity, an absolute commodity that is celebrated in this culture, which I, I love being around. Yeah, it, it is. It's wonderful. People go... You've been successful. Tell me your story. I want to learn from you. And I think that approach, um, we need more of that in Australia, to be honest. I think it's like, the, I, I, sometimes I have to explain the tall poppy um, syndrome. It's like no one has ever heard of that here. Whereas in Australia, it's, um, you know, it is a, a part of our culture and part of our heritage, I think. But um, it is people, and when you do explain that, that you um, uh, People here just like shake their heads in, in a little bit of disbelief. I am so grateful that I got a chance to speak with you today, Adam. Um, Thank you. I'm yeah. grateful that I know you. 
because it's a big city. <laughs> it is. <laughs> you get lost here. <laughs> Someone was trying to ask me why do Australians stick together. I was like, it's like any immigrants stick together because occasionally you just want to look at each other and go, did you see that? Can you? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just want to look at each other and go, it's not about eating the same food or whatever. It's just like having that moment where you go, all right, oh, it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, may this be your best Movember ever. And I'm so, so happy to to have been a part of it and and stay a part of it. And um, and as long as I can grow facial hair, I I, want to be growing a moustache every year for you, man. Mate, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you, brother. So there you have it, Adam Garoni. I'm sure you can get why I'm so excited to talk to him. He's an incredible guy. Movember.com. M-O-V-E-M-B-E-R.com. Mo bros, Mo sisters, sign up. Let's make it happen. Let's bang that gong in the Movember office. Uh, and most sisters have an enormous, enormous role to play. Uh, Adam touched on this often, and I have been this man. You have to run it past the woman that you're kissing. Say, hey, babe. I'm gonna grow. I'm gonna grow a mustache for a month. It's gonna be terrible and scratchy for the first couple of days, and then it's just gonna look weird for the last 20 days. And so, if if you're you know if you're a woman, if you're unable to grow your own mustache, please support the men around you who are growing their mustaches. Sign up Movember.com as a Mo sister and and do you do what you can for this remarkable charity and and like i said again movember.com tweet me uh, at osha ginsburg tweet me your movember pages i'll retweet them i'll do what i can I'll, I'll do what i can to get the word out for you because as you heard it's a it's a cause very close to my heart they touch to it's a it's a charity that that supports two things that affect men's health that have affected me personally and affected uh, my family as well so uh, I'm just really, really grateful. Thank you so much to everybody that's listening to the show at Osher Ginsburg. Tweet out that you listen to the show. If you like the show, tweet it out. Go on iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes if you like, but if you could tweet it out that you listen to this episode, you would make my day. I love you for listening. Thank you so, so much. Movember.com. Just do it. Grow a moustache. It'll be awesome. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.